Monday morning, as most Mondays, I went to the uh, Rogers Baptist Association Pastors Conference. And uh, usually what happens is we get there, we eat breakfast, we have time of fellowship, and then about 9 o'clock we have a, a speaker. And I've been privileged this year to be able to schedule those speakers. So um, anyway, uh, this past Monday we were, we were visiting, and, and uh, our former director of missions, Randy Childers, was there, and he and... and uh, one of the other pastors were talking, and they got a little loud, and one of them was talking about, um, ask a question about heaven. Randy said, well, uh, I've been reading this book about heaven called Heaven, unique title, right, uh, by Randy Alcorn, and, and we were talking about, about books and scriptures on heaven, and uh, it got me thinking, can you imagine doing forever what you were created to do? Because we were created to have a relationship with God. We were created with fellowship with God, uh, for fellowship with God. And that's what we'll get to do forever around the throne of Jesus. In fact, in Roman, excuse me, in Revelation, and I'm not preaching for Revelation, I'm just going to look at some of the things. It's talks about, in Revelation 21, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth passed away. And he saw the, the holy city of Jerusalem come down as a bride adorned for her husband. And John says, I heard a voice. And it says, look, God's dwelling is with man and he will live with them. They will be his people and he will be this God and he'll, he'll be with them. And it says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because all those things have passed away. And then John says, I saw the one seated on the throne that said, look, I'm making everything new. A few verses later, John talks about he saw that new Jerusalem and, and he said it was like uh, pure gold, clear as glass, and that's what we're going to walk on. Can you imagine gold being so common that we walk on it and don't even pay attention to it? I mean, how often when you're walking down a sidewalk do you pay attention to the sidewalk? And then later, it says... Uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And they will reign forever and ever with God. And some people think about heaven, think about the fact we're going to worship God all the time. They're going to say, well, that's boring. It'll get tiring. One pastor spoke up and said, you know, what, that's what I spoke about Sunday morning. He says, we won't be. And he said, I, I, I spoke from the 1 Corinthians 15. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We won't all die, he says. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed. And the pastor said... That's why we won't be bored in heaven. We'll be created to be exactly what we were created to be, forever to worship God. And the only thing that will be boring would be if we had to think about going back to that old way. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. I remember a chorus that I learned a long time ago. Maybe you learned it too. It's called, Heaven is a Wonderful Place. Do you remember that? Heaven's a wonderful place filled with His glory and grace. 
I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. And then the last line says, I want to go there. I do. I'm sure you do too. Heaven is made possible because of the cross of Jesus. And we've been looking at the cross for the last several weeks. The first week we saw the reason for the cross. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do about our sin. We need a Savior. The next week we saw the revelation of the cross that Christ died for our sins while we were still sinners. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it because we were sinners. We were rebellious against God. We had rebellious hearts. The, the third week we saw the reality of the cross because of God's love for us, Christ died on the cross. And then last week we saw the re result of the cross, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Now last week as we were reading through our text, I said we'd go back and look at verses 1 and 2 again. So let's look there real quick. This is our text. This is just kind of a, a preliminary stuff. But, but Paul says, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to believers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning Israel is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, Paul's ministry, we know, was to Gentiles, was to people that were not Jews, people like you and me. But he loved his people. And he had a burden for his fellow Jews that they be saved. But he said they had a zeal for the wrong thing. They clung to the law. They thought they could be righteous by the law. Then, if you're still in Romans, keep your finger there. Turn back to Romans 9. Verse 1, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Wow. What a burden. How many of us have family, and I don't want to show of hands, but how many of us have family members and close friends that don't know Jesus? How many of them are trusting in the wrong things? Trusting things like, well, I live a good life, and I'm better than some of those hypocrites down the church, they may be. But they're trusting in themselves and not in God. Oh, by the way, you know what God's standard is? It's in Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. That's God's standard. There's only one person that met that standard. That was Jesus. So think about those people that are lost. Do you have a burden for them? Do you want to see them saved and go to heaven and, and serving Christ? Now, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm sure you are too. Paul was. In his final letter that he wrote shortly before he was executed, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is closed. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Paul says, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm ready to get rid of this world and go be with the Lord. 
But he says, I have a burden. I have a burden for the Jews. He said, I wish that I would be cursed and cut off from God for their sake. If, they, if they'd go to heaven, I'd be willing to be separated from God eternally. That's a great love. That's a great burden for lost people. It's like the love that Jesus says, greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Paul had that kind of love. Do you have that kind of burden for lost people? I mean, a, a, a real burden that keeps you up at night, that, that causes you to agonize in prayer before God. Does it bother you that people you know and love may not go to heaven because they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Who's on the prayer list that you pray for every day? I've got several people that I pray for every day. A lot of them are family members. And I don't want to see. They're good people. They're people that I love and that love me. And I have a great relationship with them. But they don't know Jesus. Paul's burden for lost people is the introduction to our text. So stand with me and honor God's word. We're going to begin reading in verse 13 of chapter 10. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear about him without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message of Christ. Or the King James says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word today. And may we respond to the spirit of God that deals in our hearts. Father, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now we started out with the promise we ended with last week. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we remember we talked about that. To call on the Lord doesn't mean to, to recite a, a, a prayer that's either been written or, or after somebody else. That doesn't mean you can't be saved. But that word to call upon the name of the Lord means to bow down and worship. To surrender your life before Christ. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great promise, but not written by Paul, but it's just as true. All who do not call upon the name of the Lord are lost eternally. They'll spend an eternity separated from God in a place where God is not. A lot of those are good people that we know and love. 
Now the Bible, we all, we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that. We learned it as kids. We know that it talks about God's love and that people who believe can have faith. Well, here's what he says after that. For God did not ascend, excuse me, for God did not send his son into the world that the world should be condemned by him, but to save the world through him. That's the good news. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe has been condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. All who call upon the Lord shall be saved, but all who don't call are lost. And so Paul then begins with, with uh, a list of questions. The first question is this. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed in? Or how can they be saved if they don't have faith? Now Paul is referring back to a few verses before in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that says, let me get started. Um, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness, and with a man confession is made unto salvation. Uh, that th those verses or for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 11. Um, what Jesus is saying, that word believe means to have faith. It means more than to have intellectual knowledge. I mean, if I were to ask you, how many of you believe that the sun is shining right now? You all believe that. How many of you believe it's going to shine every day? Whether the, I mean, we might not see it, but it's going to shine every day, Right? We might not go outside. We might be in a room that doesn't have windows. It might be overcast, cloudy, and rainy. But the sun's going to shine every day. It's not that kind of belief that, that John's talking about. It's not that kind of belief that, that Paul is quoting here. It's to means to put into faith what your head believes. It means to, to believe it in your heart and to act upon it. That word, Greek word means to to believe unto action. So if you believe in Jesus, it means you'll act based upon what you believe. And Paul says, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting from Isaiah 28, 16. Again, that, that is another time, in, in several times in our text today, that he's quoting from the Old Testament. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I've laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. The one who believes in him will be unshakable. And so God says, whoever puts their trust in this stone, their life will, not, will never fail because they're trusting in the right thing. And that stone that Isaiah pointed, talked about pointed to Jesus. So Paul asked the question, how can, they, how can they believe 
How can they call on him if they've not believed in? How can they have faith? How can they how can they lay down their lives and worship him if they don't have faith, if they've never heard? And then the next question comes after that. How can they believe if they never hear about him? That's logical, isn't it? How can you put faith in Jesus if you've never heard about him? There's a, a research group called the Joshua Project. And the Joshua Project works with mission sending agencies to, to do research on the whole world to find out how many people have been reached with the gospel and how many have not. And they divide the world into reached, unreached, and unengaged. Unengaged means there's nobody in that people group that anybody has ever touched with the gospel. And then they're the unreached. That is a group of people that have less than 2% of the people group that have, have received Christ as Lord and Savior. Less than 2%. Anybody above that, they consider reached. Well, when you consider a group with only 2%, that's not very many people, is it? But he, I, I always thought that was pretty low a pretty low threshold to consider reach. But then I got to thinking just this week, I accepted their, their figures a long time ago, but just this week I got to thinking, how many people in Jerusalem were reached when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost? 120 people. Out of what they said was probably 100 to 150,000 people in Jerusalem for that weekend. And what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out. And 2,000. And then 3,000. And the numbers so high they didn't count them were reached. And then the gospel spread outside of Jerusalem because of persecution. And it reached all the way to Rome and eventually to the United States. Okay, so we know what unengaged, unreached, and reached are. 40% of the world, 40% of the people groups of the world are unreached with the gospel. Less than 2% of the people know. Nobody's sharing the gospel with them. Probably the gospel's not in their language. Uh, they don't have any kind of accents, access to the gospel. Well, that's about 32 billion people. That's a pretty big number, right? Can you wrap your head around 3.2 billion? I can't. Let's bring it down a little bit. Um, let's look at the United States. Well, let, let me back up. Did you know there are over 700, excuse me, 7,000 people groups in the, United, in the world that don't have access to the gospel? Less than 2%. 7,000 people groups including a group in Oklahoma. I was so surprised. I've got a map that, that the IMB puts out that's done by the Joshua Project. It's a map, and it shows in Oklahoma an unreached people group in southwest Oklahoma. Here's what it says about them. Um, uh, where is it? Um, they are the Kitsai people, K-I-T-S-A-I. Um, they are a Native American Southern Plains tribe of approximately 2,400 people. They are unengaged and unreached. 
63% of Americans claim to be Christians. I, don't, I think that number's too high because I think their threshold for what makes a Christian is too low. But let's just use their number for the sake of argument. That means that there are 122 million or more people in the United States without Christ. How will they believe if they don't hear about Jesus? How will they believe? You think, well, in places in Oklahoma, there's a church on almost every corner. And how many books have been written about Christianity? Hundreds of thousands of books. And if you have the Internet on your phone or in your purse or on your computer at home, you have access to hundreds of preachers every week. And yet there are people on our street, in our neighborhoods, in our cities that have never heard the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. How can they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And then Paul comes to the next question. And how can they hear without a preacher? And everybody says, I knew it. I knew it. Evangelism's just for those preachers. That gets me off the hook. Except that when you look at the Greek text, which the New Testament was originally written in Greek, that word, even though it's translated preacher several times, means more than just a preacher. It means someone who heralds. Uh, in fact, uh, the word was originally used for those people in those ancient cities before the, the invention of the printing press and newspapers, those people that would give the news. That'd be somebody with a loud voice that would stand somewhere and shout out what the news was so people could hear. That's what this word is. Somebody that proclaims a message. Somebody that shares a message. Someone that tells a message. You've probably seen old movies or at least movies of, of old times where the newspaper boys is on the street corners telling us, sharing what he has to say, and he's saying, extra, extra, read all about it, and then tell you what the headline says. That's this word. It means whoever is a believer that shares something about Jesus. And how shall they hear without somebody proclaiming the message of Christ? It could mean a pastor. It could be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. It could be you. That's what the Word talks about. So Paul's question really means, and how will they hear unless someone who is a believer tells them about Jesus? It's a great question. We've already read through the New Testament several times, and you've read and you come across this word, woe, Paul says, woe unto me if I don't share the gospel. You say, Pastor Key, that word's preach. It's that same word that word. Paul says, woe unto me if I don't tell other people about Jesus. And then in another place, Paul, Paul wrote the love. This is in 1 Corinthians, if you want to look it up. Paul says, the love of Christ compels us to no longer live for self, but for Jesus. 
our motivation to tell those lost people about Jesus is our love for Christ. I was sharing with the youth this morning. We talked about music and what kind of music they like. And, and um, I go back to the 70s. So my favorite music is called goth. My wife hates it. It's operatic singers with heavy metal background. Yeah, I've got somebody out, another fan over here. Another one back here. I love it. Phantom of the Opera. I just love it. But there's a group in the, in the 90s, and I, don't, I couldn't tell you what the song says, but I remember the title. There's a group called Meatloaf. Anybody hear Meatloaf? Yeah, Ricky was, was a rocker from that day, long hair and all that. I, I'd like to see a picture of that, Ricky. But Meatloaf had a song that says, I'd do anything for love. That. That's the way most Christians are. I'd do anything for Christ, but I won't share the gospel. Because it scares too many people to think about opening their mouth and telling somebody about Jesus because they think, well, I don't know enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? You know what I say when someone asks me a question that I don't know? I don't know. I don't have any idea. But we can look it up. And you know, that's a good thing about Google, because you can look up a lot of things on Google. It makes sermon preparation a lot quicker, because I'll think of a Bible verse, and I don't know where it's at, so I just put it in, and there it comes up, King James, and I put it in my, my program, and it tells me in the translation that I use, and whichever, I have about 30 translations. You can do that. But we need to open our mouths about Jesus. Tell what you know. You're not, at, you're not responsible to tell what you don't know. There was a man that was blind. He was blind from birth, and Jesus healed him. And he went around telling everybody, I, I, I'm healed, I'm healed. And the Pharisees went to him and said, how did it happen? He said, I don't know. You want to become his disciple too? I don't know. What I do know was I was blind, but now I see. People can't hear unless God's people tell them. And we need to tell them what we know. Tell them what happened to us. We've been given the privilege of sharing the gospel with others. In fact, we've even been commanded. We'll see in just a minute. Paul's final question was this, and how can they preach unless they're sinned? And the answer is, Jesus has already commissioned us. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's what Jesus says. God sent me, I send you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession. That's the privilege part. 
so that you might go and proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've all been sinned because we've called on the name of the Lord. We've surrendered our life to Christ. He says, okay, you're mine. Go. And then he quotes another passage in Isaiah and in the book of Nahum. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, in both Isaiah and in Nahum, the people of God were under oppression. They were, in, they were in slavery. And God sent his messenger with good news to tell them that they were going to be set free. And so, that was great news, and the people would be excited. Jesus says, how beautiful are the feet of those, because they were runners, they didn't call them on the phone. They didn't send them a telegram. They were runners. Sometimes, uh, they, I remember when you read about David, and he had people would come back from the front. They weren't riding horses or mules or anything. They were come running back to bring the message of what's going on. And that's what he's talking about. How beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. And then he has another quote. But not all obeyed. Verse 16, but not all obeyed. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's a quote from Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah is saying, you know, I've got this great news. And Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant, about what Jesus went through on the cross for us. He says, I've got this great message, but not everybody has believed it. I feel you, Isaiah. Because there have been times that, that we've shared the gospel. So don't fear rejection if you're afraid when you tell the gospel. Don't fear rejection because it's already happened in the past. Isaiah was talking about the fact that the people of God were talking in the wrong thing, uh, trusting the wrong thing. That's what Paul started out with. They've got a zeal for the wrong thing. Isaiah was talking about the fact the news that was so great, the people wouldn't accept it. But they need to hear. How can they hear? How can they believe on him of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless we go? And how can they we go if we aren't sent? Well, we're sent. And some people are going to say, great. I love that news. How beautiful are your feet. Literally, thank you, Lord, that you sent this person. Some are going to say, I don't believe it. But then James, excuse me, then, then Paul finishes with these words. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And that's what it's about. People need to hear about Jesus. Paul's been talking about the cross. Paul's been talking about faith. People need to hear about Jesus. Because then they can have faith. And it's our responsibility to take the message. When I was younger, I always had this question. Why didn't God 
put the message out on the television so everybody could hear at the same time. Or, like he's going to do in Revelation, why didn't he shout from the heavens so that the whole world can hear at the same time? God chose to use you and I. And, and I've got an, a reason why. Um, Isaiah 58, 55.8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In, in Isaiah 55, Isaiah is focusing on the everlasting love of God that would heal his people by his grace, people's sorrows by his grace. That's true today. God's message is that people will be healed, they'll be made whole, they'll have new life, they'll have a life with meaning. But God's not going to do it in the way that we think it ought to be done. He's going to do it through His people. Faith comes because somebody passes the message of salvation on to somebody else. My professor in seminary, Dr. Coble, said, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's what we're doing. This is what helped me. This is how it can help you. So who are you praying for? Who do you need to share the message of salvation with? Let me ask you, will you commit to pray for lost people? And I don't mean just pray for lost people around the world because there are lots of them. But will you commit to pray specifically for people that God brings into your life by name? Will you commit to pray for them? I did a, uh, a, a prayer study this week. Uh, it was, it was uh, done by the International Mission Board. It's short. It's got four lessons, I think. The longest one was seven minutes, usually three to five minutes. It, it's a video that, that you can get. And if you're interested, just let me know, and I'll, I'll send you the link to that. But as they shared, their purpose was that we be praying for the lost people groups of the world. And there are 7,000 of them. God impressed me that our church needs to adopt a people group to pray for. Now, when I pastored, before we went to the mission field a long time ago, we prayed for uh, a group of people in Iraq, the Kurds. Nobody ever heard of the Kurds then. How many of y'all have heard of the Kurds since then? They were some of the people that Saddam Hussein uh, massacred. But the gospel message was taken to them later, and we prayed for them for a long time. How will God use our prayer? Will you commit? And, and, and just pray for me that God, God will lead us to the right people that we can pray for. We may never go see them. I mean, my, my, my first thought is, is to pray for Brazil. But God may be leading us someplace else to pray for a specific group. When God lays that group, will you commit to pray for them? Will you commit? Will you ask the Lord, Lord, will you open the door to let me share the gospel with and fill in the blank? You see, there was a time when you were without Christ. 
when you were without faith. And I don't know how you came to faith. I'm sure your testimonies are all as varied as there are people in the church. Even though I was raised in church, I wasn't saved until I was in my 20s. I had to hear the gospel over and over and over before it finally got through my stony heart. Will you pray that God will use your testimony to test someone else's life and help them then to grow in Christ? Will you commit to that, to the Lord? Not to me. Commit it to the Lord. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, your message is so clear through Paul. How shall they hear unless someone tells them? And how shall someone tell them unless they're sinned? And we've been sent. We need to accept our commission. And know, Father, that there are going to be two responses. Some are going to say, thank you, Lord. And they'll say, blessed are the ones that spoke. How lovely are the feet of those who bring good news. And some will be like the response Isaiah had. And who, will, who has believed our report? Father, may we be faithful to pray and to share and to be willing to be obedient to you. Lord, deal in our hearts this morning. And as you deal with us, May we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to sing our invitation to him. As God's dealt with you, you respond to him. If you need to come pray, come pray. If you need to make a public decision, you do that this morning. However the Lord deals with you, you respond to him.